You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Good morning, Discovering Discos. Today, we discover the falsehoods and deceit behind those mini bottles of Fireball at the gas stations, the excitement behind this year's food-themed bowl games, and a new proposed legislation that would make it a criminal offense to sell or distribute cultivated meat in the sunshine state. Welcome to Discover Ag, where food meets pop culture. We're your host, Natalie Antara, millennial cattle rancher and dairy farmer, and every Thursday we go beyond the headlines to discover what's new in the world of food. And at the end of this episode, we will have a great interview with CrowdHealth. It is a health insurance alternative, so stick around if you want to learn more about that. I'm freezing. I was going to say, we are coming to you live from a blizzard, both of us. I know, but I like feel bad using the word blizzard in relation to someone who's in Nebraska or anywhere that is north of me. So yesterday, Daniel had surgery and we had to drive home from Lubbock to our town. So it's about two hours normally, a little less. And I think it took over three. And we were in full on whiteout conditions. But this morning, there is like not a lot of snow. So that's our blizzard. Like it was absolutely like blizzard conditions, but it's not like we're not like living in a blizzard now. It's interesting the ways people describe the same weather patterns. It's also interesting how people respond. So in Montana, we never got snow days, ever. In Nebraska, we have snow days all the time. Like my kids have been out of school yesterday and today because of a snow day. Now, it's not because, again, like you said, we're actively, you know, in a blizzard. It's blizzarding outside. But the thing about Nebraska is it drifts here like crazy. And that's why they'll cancel school. And so it is kind of interesting. I mean, it is like clear outside, but I could barely get down my driveway this morning. I mean, we were drifted in so bad. The one time we had like a real blizzard in Clovis, it was uh, in like 2016. I don't know. Maddie fact checked me on that. I always forget what year it was because it was in like the end of December. So it like rolled into the beginning of the next year. Anyway, we had terrible snow drifts. Like unbelievable people couldn't get out of their garage they couldn't get out of their house and yesterday that was the issue was the wind was blowing but there wasn't enough snow to accumulate snow drifts like even daniel was saying that on our way home he was like this would be so much worse if there were snow drifts and i do think that's the issue i'm sure all of clovis schools canceled school because clovis cancels school if there's like a drizzle of like anything below 32 with rain um i also gave my kids a, a snow day today i was like it's I don't know. It's a homeschool <laughs> snow day. Go play. Go torture your dad who is laid up in bed post-surgery. Homeschool snow day. I like that. I will say, though, I am very happy when we have weather conditions like this that I married a man who knows how to drive a payloader or a skid skirt because that's what we just take down our driveway and we do our neighbors. And I just I'm so grateful we're not out there with like <laughs> a shovel trying to, you know, do our driveway or, or even just like actually snowed in because we can't get out. That is something I talk about with Daniel all the time. I'm like, I don't know what people do who live in a city and don't have heavy equipment. And I know that is like farm privilege right there, but it is like so nice. You just like handle things yourself. You just do things yourself. I will say yesterday when I was driving Daniel home in the blizzard, I do not recommend that for a marriage, having a husband who is coming out of anesthesia (laughs) and is grouchy and you are driving in a blizzard. He didn't like how I was driving. And I, he kept being really good though. Like he was like, you're doing great. You're doing great. And I was like, if you tell me, I'm doing great one more time. I'm not going to believe you anymore. So it's a very stressful situation, but it did not. Like my farmer husband was like needed to be in control of the situation. And he absolutely was not. At one point he was like, it's fine. I can drive. And I was like, you are like one hour post-surgery. You cannot drive. But we made it. We made it home and we are still married. 
This is the moment when Luke would say, I would actually prefer to drive under anesthesia than let Natalie drive. And it would actually be safer if I would drive under anesthesia than let Natalie drive. Because as we all know, I am an absolute terrible, terrible driver. And to your point, though, even though I'm a bad driver, there is nothing like driving in bad road conditions with snow. I have driven in a couple of them in Montana. It's been a while since obviously Luke does all the driving here, but your adrenaline is, I mean, you are so lasered focused and I just feel like you get out of the car. If it was like a half an hour drive, a 45 minute drive, whatever it was. And you're exhausted. Like you're mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted from focusing on the road. So kudos to you. Good job yesterday. So before we get into the discovering of the articles, I want to share that I was going through old notes from the podcast from last year. And it was this time last year, right around January, February, that we came up with the name Disco for our community. So happy Disco-versary, I guess. Disco-versary. I know we didn't even acknowledge, (laughs) which this is totally you and I fashion, that we hit one year in like what, December of being Disco Mm -hmm. So like for people who don't know, if you haven't like listened to our origin story, this podcast started about two years ago under a completely different name, completely different premise. And about one year and one month ago, we rebranded as Discover Ag and it is what it is basically now. And we just like glazed right over that milestone. So um, yay, happy disco anniversaries all around. If you're a part of our Discover newsletter, you did celebrate it. I mentioned it there. I think I highlighted the beginning of December and just Thanked our community for being a part of it. So we did a we did a mini celebration. It was like an inside invite celebration because I guess you had to be a part of our newsletter. Yeah. So get on our newsletter if you're not. I just put together like the next two weeks of what I'm sharing. And they're fire. And I have more to add. Like I'm tempted to go back and like switch some things around. Like I'm really loving what I'm sharing over there right now. And as always, before we get into our articles, I want to thank our sponsor, Case IH. We are so excited to continue to be partnered with Case IH. We have some exciting things coming up with them in the next couple of weeks, including that we will be taking over their Instagram stories when we are at the American Farm Bureau. So if you follow them on Instagram, you will see Natalie and I there next weekend. So Case IH has solutions for every challenge, equipment for every farm. Case IH is built by farmers. All right, diving into our first article to discover this week, headline FYI, those mini bottles of Fireball sold at gas stations aren't actually whiskey, and people are mad enough to sue. So this all started back in 2021, an Albany-based newspaper reported around the legalities that supermarkets, convenience stores, and gas stations were illegally selling mini bottles of Fireball. This is a problem because in New York State, only liquor states only liquor stores are allowed to sell spirits. And it turns out what the gas stations are selling then isn't really fireball. And that's kind of where it all gets crazy. Yeah, I think what's crazy for me is all of the different liquor laws in different states. Like it's wild. Like this thing with New York, like that only certain stores can sell liquor. I don't know what Nebraska is like, but in New Mexico, we were dry on Sundays for like my entire childhood. Could not sell liquor. Lubbock, like the town Dan had surgery in, it was a dry county. You couldn't buy any alcohol there unless they served it to you at a restaurant no matter the day. Some of those now have like changed and lightened up. Like Lubbock has, we can now buy alcohol in New Mexico. Some counties, it's like afternoon. Like it's just crazy out there. It's like mayhem. I'll never forget when I was first with you and you asked me if we could buy alcohol. We must have been together on a Sunday somewhere. And you were like, can we buy alcohol? And I was so confused. I did not even get what you were asking me because obviously Montana I we, is not a dry state. Nebraska is not a dry state. And so I've never been exposed to this idea that the state could control your purchasing habits in that manner. And it just blew my mind. 
Yeah, Texas is so weird. Maddie is weighing in from like the Texas experience and like New Mexico to Texas are wild. I think it's like a southern state thing. But another crazy thing in Texas is you can also drink if you're 18 as long as you're with your parent or if you're like married to someone who is over 21. So when my mom moved from California, she was 19 when she got married and she moved to southern New Mexico. So they would hop over the border all the time and go to El Paso. And she got to a bar one time and she didn't realize it was like actually like quote unquote a bar, like thought it was a restaurant. And the bouncer was like, well, if you're married, as long as you have your marriage license, you can go in and drink as long as you're with your husband. And like there's just wild liquor loss is I guess the point of my rant. Not my teenager hearing this and wanting to move to New Mexico <laughs> with Texas. his mother. That's in Texas, not or, New Mexico. Oh, Texas. Um, so getting back to the article, what exactly is the difference? The single serving bottles are called Fireball Cinnamon. And we'll kind of dive into this because I feel like that is like the key thing going on here. And they're not whiskey. What they are is a malt-based beverage with a 16.5% alcohol by volume, the ABV. And Fireball Whiskey, which everyone is familiar with, is, you know, associating these mini drinks with, is whiskey-based and has the ABV of 33%. The interesting part is that the labels look almost identical, which everyone says is very intentional, so that when you go to grab those mini bottles that say cinnamon, you think you're getting the Fireball Whiskey, but you're not. Another thing about the labels, though, is even though it's a malt beverage, it also has the words natural whiskey and other flavors. And so it actually uses the word whiskey to describe it. But technically, they're using the word whiskey like it's a whole like grammatical thing that they're using the word whiskey as a description of the flavors and not as a description of the alcohol. But it's very, very deceiving. I know I was reading that part in the article and I was like, this, this is so deceitful. I mean, I really do feel like it's misrepresentation. I was like, see you in small claims court because this, <laughs> the way they approached it, I don't know. Do you think it was intentional or do you think they didn't think about it very much? Oh no, 100% completely intentional. Like I just, I'm sorry. I'm not out here saying that are like terrible people or anything, but I think this was absolutely intentional. It's interesting. I was on their website and the frequently asked question section of their website is now completely devoted to the difference between the cinnamon and the whiskey. So they're obviously got major flack from it. So reading this article, I have to ask you, like, do you feel like they have grounds to stand on, like that people can be mad about this? Or do you think people are like so happy? Like it is not the company's responsibility to like tell you that they're different or like what are your, I guess, overall opinions on it? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because I feel like I'm a little bit of both. I do see how people could... I mean, I was shocked. I think it's misrepresentation. I would go and buy one of those mini shooters thinking it was the actual fireball that I was getting. Now, am I upset enough to actually sue about it? No. Like, I think that's where people get sue happy. But I do think that companies need to be held to some sort of, like, standard and that this isn't okay to approach marketing in this manner. I just hate marketing in the U.S. essentially and everywhere probably. Yeah, I think it goes back to the whole naming thing, which we've talked about this with beef. We talked about it with milk. We've talked about it, you know, with the lab girl meat, which we're going to get into that more in another article. But like, I do think if you're going to use certain names that mean something like the word whiskey means something to people, it should be whiskey. I think that's really my issue is the naming. Like if we just named things what they actually are, we wouldn't have all this shit going on. And the amount people are suing for, like I saw one lawsuit that was seeking more than $5 million. And that just doesn't compute in my head. <laughs> like, I don't I don't get how you can seek $5 million for buying a shooter that was a malt-based and not a whiskey. 
Yeah, so some fun facts about whiskey. Maddie's dropping them in the chat too, and I have them written down. So whiskey with like the K-Y at the end, like not an E-Y, is distilled twice in Scotland. And whiskey with the E-Y is usually distilled two times in the United States. Didn't even know there was a difference. Do you know the difference between whiskey and bourbon? Do you think I know the difference between whiskey and I'm going to assume no, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. So for whiskey to be called bourbon, it must be made in America. So all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. And Johnny Walker is the reigning champion of whiskey sales worldwide. So I'm just dropping my little facts. I'm trying to compute your facts, but I feel like they're, I, I can't process them in my head right now. I feel like I need to see written out what you just said. Probably. There's a lot of a lot of spelling in there and technical things. So I have to ask, I'm like a huge whiskey drinker. I love whiskey. My favorite drink is whiskey and Coke. I will try to do whiskey and water because that's quote unquote better for you. Uh, what's <laughs> it's healthy, healthy, <laughs> quote unquote, it's healthy. Hitting our water mark for the 75 medium. <laughs> yeah. If I'm not going to get that um, no alcohol point, I might as well get the three Stanley cups of water with crown and water. So crown and water is like my usually my do- go-to drink. So do you have a favorite whiskey? I absolutely do not. But Maddie just added in, producer Maddie just added in the chat that whiskey and ginger ale is amazing. And I do think I would try that. I think that sounds delicious because I love ginger ale. But she reminded me to share with you guys, I was, when I was perusing the Fireball website, looking for information and just kind of reading about stuff, they had a recipe section. And I always forget this about your favorite alcohol, you know, choice of alcohol. If you go to their websites, I remember seeing this when I was um, working with Pendleton for NFR, they had a whole recipe section on their website that offered like different ways to, you know, obviously make drinks with your favorite liquor. And so just as a reminder, if you are, whether it's whiskey or something else, go to your favorite drinks website and make, you know, like a fun new take or a fun different drink for your for your favorite alcohol. Um, it was funny. They had one that was listed as Dragon's Blood. It reminded me of you because I was like, you would probably take this and I think it would literally kill me. But it's one part fireball whiskey and 10 drops of hot sauce and you mix it together and serve it as a shot. Oh, that sounds not I I know. like like death in a glass. I will say it was funny because when you were working with Pendleton at NFR, we had like a big dinner and you did the funnest thing. You made a reel about it so people can find it on your Instagram. But you went up to the bartender and had him make us all a drink based on what we were wearing. And you took pictures of us like secretly and you showed up with all these fun drinks. And it was so funny because I was wearing blue. So I got this super, super fruity blueberry whiskey drink. And um, our friend Jenna, I forget what she was wearing, but hers ended up looking like something I wanted. And she loves fruity drinks. And I love like where you really taste the whiskey. And we flip flopped and you kept having to like take videos of us and we'd have to switch our drinks back and forth to like, because we would be like drinking the one we actually wanted to drink. And then you'd be like, no, you have the wrong color. We were like, sorry, Natalie, we're not playing your game very well. You're breaking costume, breaking character, breaking (laughs) character. character. (laughs) Uh, Before we move on, the one last thing I'll say is I want to ask if we have any discos that are in Wisconsin or Minnesota. Apparently in Wisconsin, there's a thing called fireball fudge that's kind of popular. And apparently in Minnesota, there's fireball salad. So if you guys want to message into the Discover Instagram page and let us know what is up with all of, you know, either of those, I would be very intrigued to hear. 
So the last thing I'll say is I was making the reel for this on Sunday night with Daniel. Um, and I was trying to find music to play with it. And there is so many songs about whiskey, which I know is not surprising. Oh. But Daniel and I were having like heated debates about what the best song about whiskey is. And Daniel loves the song. It's by Blue Edmondson. That's $50 and a flask of crown. And my favorite is Casey Donahue's band. Um, she was passed around like a bottle of crown, but she was always sweet to me. And I'm curious what your favorite whiskey song is if you have one. I'm so angry at you for putting me on the spot like this and not giving me time to think about this because you know how much I love music and I could have came with the perfect intro song and I <laughs> I am berating you. Can you see like evil eyes sending your way <laughs> through the screen right eye. now? I don't know. I'm going to have to think about this and get back. Okay. All right. Talking about alcohol, we want to give a shout out to our favorite wine brand, Enchantment Vineyards. I feel like in today, we have so many questions about what is in our food, what's in food labels, but we never really consider what's in our wine. And that is one of the reasons that I love Enchantment Vineyard. Enchantment Vineyard is family owned and operated right here in New Mexico. They produce about 30,000 bottles of wine a year. All of them are hand harvested and they truly believe that good grapes make good wine. So there is no additives, nothing in that bottle of wine except for great grapes. So if you are looking to order some wine, get it shipped directly to you, you can use the link in our show notes. And we have updated the link with them to make sure that it is available for more states and everyone across across the country. So if you have tried before and it said your state was like out of, you know, network or whatever, um, go give it a try now. Use our code DISCOVER20 to get yourself 20% off your wines and get some great grapes, great wine delivered to your house. And I do think this is one of the struggles I have when I go to like a friend's house or a dinner. I always struggle knowing which wine to pick. I want to bring the best wine that everyone likes. And Tara and I did the heavy lifting for you. So if you order from Enchantment, I would pick the Traveler's Red. I think it's a crowd pleaser. Everyone would love it. And Tara? Yeah, that's the red one. Which would the you white, I liked the Aberino. So I think those are the yep. two like universal wines for red and white. But there is so many great options on their website. All right. Diving into our second headline to discover this week, title Nothing Screams College Football Quite Like a Giant Cheez-It and a Bath of Mayo. Welcome to college bowl games full of chaos, excitement, and genuinely touching moments. So for everyone that isn't an avid football fan, December means the end of the co college football season. However, to conclude the season, there are a handful of schools in the FBS that play one last game known as a bowl game. It is a tradition dating back to more than 100 years, and it turns out a lot of them are apparently food-based, which I had, had no, no idea. idea. Um, uh huh. Until we saw a reel on IG talking about all the different food bowls, and we were like, nothing is more perfect to cover on Discover Ag than this. I'm kind of surprised you didn't know because you guys are like a pretty big college football fan. Our household like does not care about football of any sort, college or otherwise. So I'm not surprised I didn't really know about this. And also, I think it's funny that you said there's just like a handful of colleges. When I was going through this, I was like, oh, my gosh, how many bowl games do we need? Does every single team across the country play in a bowl game? So it is a special skill I have to be exposed to football as much as I have for my entire life because my dad loves football too. So I grew up with football on the TV all the time growing up. Luke watches it all the time and Tad has played it for six years. And I tell you, I know about four positions. Like it is a gift I have to be able to watch football and know absolutely nothing about it. Maddie is a big football girly. So Maddie, um, please keep us in check. Come into the chat as we are covering this and support us. 
So as you said, it definitely has grown in a tradition. The very first one that started was the Rose Bowl, which I would have guessed that. I would have gotten that right because I think it is the most common uh, bowl, bowl game there is. I just didn't realize it was the oldest one. It was first played in 1902 um, and has played annually since 1916, which I think is really, really crazy. And as the name suggests, that one's after the Rose Parade in Pasadena. So this was an Instagram post and the first carousel photo, unfood related, the Alamo Bowl. I have to give a shout out to my alma mater because they had a massive upset against OU and Arizona beat OU in the Alamo Bowl. So, you know, just a little bear down Arizona. That's all I got to say. See, you are a football girly. There was a ton of upsets, though, in these bowls. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. So getting into the food themes, uh, one of the first big ones, 1934 season saw the first Sugar Bowl and Orange Bowl matchup. Uh, the Cotton Bowl, which I know isn't food theme, but it is agriculture, so I wanted to put it in there. It started in 1936. Uh, 1947 is the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, which when I saw that, I was like, Cheez-Its were available in the 47, like 1947. I did not know that. But the next sentence said... Are you sure? Yeah. Well, no. Okay. So the next sentence said, it originally started out as the Tangerine Bowl and was later changed to the Citrus or the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. So I was like, oh, okay. That... That makes sense. Um, there's the Pop-Tart Bowl, which where players take a bite out of Pop-Tarts. They're placed inside the hardware. There's the Idaho Potato Bowl, where they get dumped in French fries. And then the big one. The big one that I feel like is really trending right now, which is the Mayo Bowl, thanks to the Kelsey brothers. Oh, my gosh. The Mayo Bowl is trending also because it is so nasty. They dump an entire Gatorade container of mayo on their coach, which is something we need to talk about. A lot of these like food related bowls dump things on their coaches besides like Gatorade. And we can get into who's dumping what and why they're dumping. Also, there are some bowls that have missing opportunities for some great like Instagram moments by not dumping things on their coaches. Um, But yes, the mayo one is so gross. The coach said he was like getting mayo out for days weeks oh that makes us all do like a little squirm as we're listening to this i actually listen to the kelsey brothers podcast i it's one i like dabble in i don't listen to it all the time but if they have a good headline i'll listen to them because i do find them rather entertaining but travis didn't think it was mayo he was calling it it was funny he was calling it fox like faux f-a-u-x he was like that's fox mayo But he was really calling out the mayo ball, saying that he doesn't think that's mayo. He thinks they're cheating and he wants to know what it is. I feel like we're kind of on an avocado kick here in um, Discover Ag Podcast. And there is avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl and they do not dump guacamole on their coach. I think that's one of the missed opportunities. Uh, There is also a wasabi bowl. No wasabi being dumped. That sounds dangerous. I can see why. They probably have it in the legality section. Like, will not dump wasabi on the coach. There's a cricket bowl, so not sure what cricket farmer wants to provide the crickets for for that. And then the final one is Famous Toastery Bowl, and it is a chain of uh, restaurants, I think, in the South, and they're famous for their Eggs Benedict. So there was a lot of conversation that we need to have a hollandaise sauce uh, coach dunk as well. Oh, man, these sauce ones. It was funny. I saw the coach that got the mayo on him. His quote was, I feel cold, I feel wet, but I feel like a winner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, History was made this year. 2023 was the first year that the Holiday Bowl dumped eggnog on their coach. They called it Nog on the Noggin. I loved that. I thought that was such good branding. 
I love this whole thing. I think like there's nothing to make me smile more than seeing these coaches, like the clips of these coaches getting dumped with the food. The French fry one, I definitely feel like I'd be like, hmm, like stopping, taking a mm, bite. I know. <laughs> Idaho Bowl is where they get dumb French fries. Like, I'm like, that sounds way better than the mayo. As I was doing this, I was thinking about that. Like, what would I want dumped on me? What food item would I want to bathe in? And I couldn't quite answer it for myself, but I knew immediately, I immediately knew what my dear co-host of the Discover Act podcast would want to be dumped in. Uh, milk? Is that what you're going to say? Queso. Oh. I was going with queso, but I guess milk. <laughs> oh my gosh, there should be a queso bowl. That's such good. That would be amazing. And just like sell queso. Oh my gosh, that would be fantastic. I would love that. There is a tropical smoothie bowl and they dump smoothie on their coach. So I thought that was a good hmm. one. There's a Scooter's Coffee Frisco bowl and they dumped iced coffee on their coach. Like there's so many. I can keep going. Well, here's the thing. As a semi-football girly, I don't think I'll be looking forward to, you know, regular season next year. But I can tell you for 2024 bowl games, I'm going to be tuning in just to see all the different foods and, you know, what's getting dumped on the coaches. Tony the Tiger Bowl. You can guess what mm-hmm. gets dumped on him. So that is actually Frosted something that maybe I want to end with is that the reason I think these food ones are becoming more popular is obviously because these food companies are sponsoring the bowls. And so it's yes. a whole thing. I mean, you know, the mascot comes out for them. Like we saw the Cheez-It one. Like you see that you've seen the Cheez-It like come out of the box of Cheez-Its. And it's just like this whole production, obviously, around advertising. But honestly, I think it's kind of like great. Like it just feels like good, clean, fun advertising. I actually really love it. I love it too. It gets the Discover seal, stamp seal of approval. Speaking of food, things related to football, um, I've been spending a lot of time with my husband over the last two days, so I apologize for all the stories about Daniel, but that is just my life currently taking <laughs> care of him. Say a prayer for me and probably for him too because uh, this is the first time Daniel has ever been home, like not at the dairy. Like literally this morning, Annalise woke up and she was like, dad's home? Like totally weird to have him here. So Yeah, keep us in your thoughts and prayers. But Daniel doesn't watch football at all, but he always says that if he had to pick a favorite team, it would be the Green Bay Packers because of the Cheeseheads. He's like convinced that because of the Cheeseheads, people probably eat more cheese at those games. So that's definitely in the food-themed football world. It's so funny you say that about your kids because (laughs) Jax has been waking up every morning lately and being angry that Luke isn't there. I think it stemmed from like over the holiday break when we were in Montana for seven days and Luke was literally there every morning. And yesterday morning, he said the meanest thing to me and Luke in the same sentence without being meaning to be mean, obviously, because he's only five. But he said, mom, how come you never work and always have to take care of us? And dad always works and never takes care of us. (laughs) And Luke and I look at each other and we're like, that's the meanest thing he could say to me. I'm like, I work so hard and I work all the time. And Luke was like, I take care of these kids all the time. Like I am more present with these kids than probably like 80% of other dads, which like, that's just agriculture. Like Luke's just around more than like other dads who have a nine to five. But we were both like, I work. And Luke's like, I take care of you. Like we were so heartbroken, but I don't know. And Luke or Jax's mind is just like, I'm always there in the morning and Luke's always out feeding cows. And we were both just basically so offended. That's funny that one comment could be like taken just so terribly by everyone involved. But I will say that's the weird thing about dairy farming. Like Daniel is always gone. Like he literally leaves at 530 and he, I agree that agriculture, like 
the dads will probably just ever in agriculture, you're with your kids more. Like Dan is absolutely in and out. Like he comes home for a long lunch. Like he's with the girls, but mornings he is not like that is one thing Mm -hmm. I always have to do on my own 100% of the time. And so I think the next few days is going to be the weirdest thing having him (laughs) at home. Like, I don't even know what to do. Like it just is already throwing off our routine. Like I can just feel it like not maybe going great, but we'll see. All right, before we're getting into our last article, we want to thank another sponsor, Land Trust. So if you are an avid outdoor enthusiast, hunter, just a person looking maybe to ride your horses, all sorts of things, whatever you can think of outside, it can be really difficult to find a place to go and do that. And if you are a landowner, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you are a landowner, you might be looking for ways to bring in income from your land, whether that be hunting or allowing people to use you know, your outdoor space for recreational activities. Well, that is where Land Trust comes in. Land Trust is an easy to use online marketplace that generates income for landowners and provides recreational opportunities for outdoor enthusiasts by connecting them to each other. It is basically the VRBO of outdoor activities. So no matter what it is you want to do, you're able to go online, find a place, a farm, a ranch, outdoor space to be able to do that. We have a great interview that we just did uh, two weeks ago with Land Trust. So if you are interested in learning more, go check out that interview. It's a great place to start or go to their website landtrust.com to reserve exclusive access to private land for your next door adventure or to learn how if you are the landowner earn additional income from your land while remaining in complete control. Uh, Before we get into our last article, I also want to give a listener review shout out. It was titled Love This. These two are so fun and they always bring up some interesting topics. And that was from Love My Cows. So thank you, Love My Cows. If you are Love My Cows and you're listening to this right now, message us on IG on our Instagram so that we can send you a Got Discover sticker. And if you are not Love My Cows and you want to leave us a review and get a sticker of your own, we would so appreciate that. It helps us grow the Discover community and gets people discovering. All right, diving into our last and final headline to discover title, The Stakes Are High. Florida Republican Wants to Ban Lab-Grown Meat. So State Representative Tyler Soroy, as I think maybe how you say his last name, not entirely sure. I'm not up with my Florida politics, but he has proposed legislation that would make it a criminal offense to sell or distribute, quote unquote, cultivated meat in the state of Florida. The puns in this article are spot on. Stakes are high. Mm-hmm. It's very punny. Very mm-hmm. good. Very punny. Good job to whoever wrote this. <laughs> Uh, there's definitely, uh, speaking of who wrote this, there's definitely like an aspect of like the um, Republican versus Democrat to this article. Like it is definitely like Republicans want this mm. and other people don't. I felt like was like an underlying tone, I guess, for this article. Yeah, it's very, very, very political. <laughs> Safe to say that. <laughs> Safe to say that. That's really the only safe thing to say for the rest of this article is that it is Mm -hmm. very political. So this uh, representative, as you said, Tyler, not sure how to say his last name, so I'm not even going to try, wants to make it a criminal offense, as you said, to sell cultivated meat. So he said farming and cattle are incredibly important industries in Florida. And it made me wonder, like, what makes up his district? He did say he does not have any ties to agriculture, but I would be curious, like, what part of the state he represents. Yeah, because I don't think people often associate cattle with Florida, but Florida, I wouldn't say they're like 
you know, ranking with like Nebraska or Texas when it comes to like the livestock industry, but they can hold their own. Like they have over almost a million, 886,000 head of cattle there. Um, there's over 15,000 beef producers in the state of Florida. They rank 13th in overall cattle nationwide. So I do think there is much more cattle in the state of Florida than people realize. Yeah, there's a lot of dairy too. There's like a fair amount of dairy. There's actually a dairy for sale right now in Florida and Daniel keeps sending it to me. And I'm like, mm. it's like are you hinting or like wanting to move to Florida? Like I'm so confused. <laughs> yes, I think he's I think he's hinting. <laughs> I mean, I can pick up on that hint. <laughs> I mean, with the blizzard outside right now, I definitely expect to get another article in my inbox today. So back to Florida. Florida wants to become the first state to ban cultivated meat, which obviously reminds us of the first country that banned uh, lab-grown meat. That was Italy. We did cover Italy banning meat back long time ago, April 6th of 2023. So if you want to dive into that, you can go to that episode. So you quoted his statement where he talked about how farming and cattle are important to the um, state of Florida. And that's why he thinks it's like this is a relevant discussion for the state of Florida to have. I don't know if that was my favorite soundbite that I necessarily agree with. Like, I don't know if I guess that's a a question uh, for you. I have before we dive into what I was going to ask. Do you think these, you know, beef producing states is this a conversation they should be bringing up, like a, a law that they should be investigating or trying to pass through? That is the big question discussion I wanted to bring up as well today. I just don't know how I feel about this. Like part of me does agree with one of his statements. He said that without regulation, untested, potentially unsafe, uh, that we're just not sure exactly of the actual outcomes of this lab grown meat or what it will do to our health. I do agree with that statement. But I don't know how I feel about putting regulations on innovation and even like food in general. Like we have talked about Eric Adams regulating meat in schools. And it's actually been something I've been deep diving a lot because we have been preparing for um, a bonus episode next week. uh, We're going to be covering You Are What You Eat on Netflix. And Eric Adams is interviewed in that over and over again. So is Senator Cory, Cory Booker. And both of them want to make more regulations on not eating meat. And so in my mind, this is almost the same, just kind of like the opposite a little bit, like another, you know, another side, another extreme. And it makes me really uncomfortable. Like, I just don't know if regulators and our representatives should be allowed to regulate food and innovation in this way, I guess. Like, I understand that this got approved by the FDA, all of that. So there's like a lot of to go into, but... I don't know. This is a real struggle for me. So I actually agree with you, um, but I think I feel a little bit more strongly in stating it maybe or a little bit more comfortable. I don't think a state should have the right to ban cultivated meat. It's interesting that I feel that way maybe since it got brought closer back to home because when we talked about it with Italy, I remember thinking like, oh, I can see why Italy's doing that. They're like maintaining their the food heritage, their sovereignty, like the connection, the culture, like all this stuff. And for me, it made sense. And I feel like for me to say like Italy can get away with it and do it, but Florida like seems a little bit drastic and unfair. It's probably people going to be like, well, that's calling the pot, the kettle black. Like that doesn't that make is, sense. That's that not the saying, but okay, we're going to just keep whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know why I feel differently about Italy doing it versus Florida, but something about Florida and this bill just feels very, very wrong to me. I will say though, what I was going to say before I originally brought this question up to you and what you pointed out. I do agree. He had one very, very logical statement and it was what you said. I quote, I think it raises important ethical concerns about the limitations and boundaries we should place on this type of science End quote. 
And I think that is the really important discussion to have is, I mean, it's a slippery slope to me, like this, this science and food, right? Like it leads us to things like cloning, which is very troubling. Like it just leads to so many things that we probably haven't don't even know about when it comes to science and things we haven't even discovered yet when it comes to science. And that's a line I am very, very uncomfortable with when it comes to my food is like the food science line. Yeah, we have covered lab grown meat like a few times on this podcast and no surprise, like I feel like it's constantly in the news. But as a reminder, there's two companies that are currently have FDA approval for selling cultivated meat. It is a cultivated chicken. And we covered that in June on June 29th. And that was actually an episode I did with Daniel. So um, it was kind of a a fun article that we did. well, I shouldn't say it was a fun. I don't know. Daniel had very strong opinions about lab-grown <laughs> meat, but it was a fun episode <laughs> with my husband. So what I thought was interesting about this is when you Google like Florida banning lab state or lab-grown meat, nothing really pops up then after it first broke, which I think is interesting because it makes me think people are just over this conversation. Like no one is interested in talking about this. No one is interested in reading it. No one is interested in listening to it. Like it's just kind of like, oh, sigh, lab grown meat. And I thought maybe I was the only one that felt that way. But when I Googled, because I wanted to read other articles and other information and other viewpoints on this, it was like everything broke and then no was crickets. No one was talking about it. Yeah, I think it it just is also not like at people's like grocery stores yet, right? Like it's not at our front door. Yeah. It is these two companies have approval, but they are like serving, I think, at like one restaurant in San Francisco, if I remember right from the article in June. And like that's it. So it's not something even people are going out to the grocery store to get yet. Although, I mean, I think we need to like be prepared on like naming. What are these gonna be called? Are we allowed to call them chicken? Like I think there is like preparation that needs to be done, but I don't know that we're even at a point yet that it makes sense for Florida to be like, we're banning it. It's like it's not even in grocery stores yet. Like calm down a little. I don't know. I think we're I think we're maybe a little bit making like a mountain out of a molehill, but I think it goes back to that fine line, like you said, of like, what does this mean for the future? And I think lastly, my big issue with it, as always, is all of the statements that it is a healthier, that it's better for the environment, all of these unproven things. If anything, we have seen from studies out of UC Davis that it is not better for the environment. And so that was really my issue with this is like the unfounded claims in this article that we see over and over again, just like plastered around. Well, as always, we love to hear your guys' take too. So if you have a hot take that you want to share about Florida being the first state to try and ban lab-grown meat, if you think that's good and you want to cheer them on, or if you want to present a reason why you disagree with it, we would love to hear it over on the Discover Ag Instagram page. You can always just comment us um, or send us a message. And usually we share them to our stories because we like to get you know dialogue and conversation going there. All right. Do not go anywhere. We have a fascinating interview with crowd health. I feel like in this day and age, we have all had some kind of issue with our health insurance from rising costs to access to reliable insurance, claims being denied, and just overall the process being extremely frustrating. Today, we are interviewing Andy Schoonover, the CEO of crowd health, which is a company that was founded in 2021 to provide tools to help people pay for healthcare bills without the need for health insurance. What is CrowdHealth? It is a health insurance alternative. We are going to be talking with Andy about how he created CrowdHealth out of a need for his daughter and her health journey, what CrowdHealth is exactly and how it's different from health insurance and how it can help your family with your health care needs. All right. Well, hello, Andy. Welcome to the Discover Ag Podcast. 
Thanks for having me. So I want to get into this by starting a little bit with your mission story because I actually have a daughter who has like additional healthcare needs and healthcare has been an absolute nightmare since her diagnosis. Like I have been through the ringer. I can't tell you how many hours, days, weeks I've spent crying over health insurance. And so when Natalie told me a little bit, she had heard you on a podcast sharing about your daughter's story and really just the mission behind crowd health. It just like resonated with me so much. And I think it will with our listeners as well. So what really is that story of why you felt the need to found, found this company? Yeah, you know, I I had sold uh, my previous company, and like m- many of us, we we get our health insurance through our employer, and so I didn't have that anymore, um, and so I had to go find an alternative, and so I went on the Affordable Care Act. Um, I thought it was my only alternative at that point, and um, I kind of joked it 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 worked until I had to use it. Well, my little one, who was one at the time, was having recurring ear infections, and so we went to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, who told us that she had a hole in her eardrum. So um, she needed tubes in her ears. It's something a lot of kids have to do. And so we went and didn't really think about it. Went to the get get tubes in her ears. It was a 15-minute procedure. And then we came out of that and got the bill. And the bill was $8,000. I'm just like, wow, like $8,000 for 15 minutes. Like, that's nuts. And I was like, okay, well, this is what health insurance is for. Like, this is the whole point of having health insurance. And um Little did I know, a few weeks later, I got a note from my health insurance plan, and they said it was medically unnecessary, and so they weren't going to pay for the for the procedure. And I said, hold on a second. I went to an ear, nose, and throat doctor who told me she's got a, hear in her, a hole in her eardrum, and you're telling me this is medically unnecessary? This is crazy. And um, so we went through three rounds of appeals, and you know, at the end, the doctor, you know, the, the health plan basically was like, we're not paying for it. And so I had to stroke an $8,000 check to pay for this procedure that my, my daughter got. And I was like, this is just not right. You know, this is just not how this should work. And so, um, I quit health insurance. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. If, if you're not going to pay my bills, I'm not paying your bills. And I have been uninsured now for about four years. Um, and you know, that's scary to a lot of people, but we have just found it incredibly freeing to to be kind of free from the rules and the complexities and the denials and all the all these crazy things that that go along with health insurance and it's been uh we kind of jo- we kind of joke we're we're delightfully uninsured <laughs> i think there's probably a lot of people listening in that had two emotions to your story one their jaw dropped and thought gosh i can't believe that happened that's crazy And then unfortunately, there are people who are tuning in that like you and Tara have gone through the ringer and aren't even surprised by that. And you started this off, I think, with something that I want to highlight because you said, you know, many of us get our health insurance through our employer. And I think the really unique thing about a lot of Discover Ag listeners is I think we have Mm -hmm. a meld of a lot of entrepreneurs, young people that are, we're, we're it. Like if you look at who our employer is, it's us. And that's agriculture. Like when you guys first reached out, I said, this is so key, this company, like highlighting you guys for agriculture, because that is one of the big points of being a farmer and a rancher is when we look to who's the employer, it's us. And when we look to how to get insurance, it's usually sending a spouse off of the ranch to get it, which, or the farm, which isn't, you know, ideal for some families. Like Mm -hmm. that's not how we want to spend our life is going to a job just for health insurance. So maybe can you talk about that a little bit more, like the different people that are signed up for you, how you're serving them, the value they found, like how it fits into their lives when you're not getting your insurance from an employer. 
Yeah. And, and to be very transparent, that's why we re- reached out, you know, as we kind of were looking at people who we thought would could be, you know, really good members of, of crowd health, we kind of looked to, you know, the farmers and the ranchers out there who are their employers, like they are their, it's a one man show or a, you know, a 10 man show at very small, you know, organizations. And so paying for health insurance within that, that structure is very, very difficult. And as I'm looking at our existing customers, the vast majority of our existing customers are entrepreneurs, they're freelancers, they're gig economy workers. In essence, these are people who have said no to big corporations. I want to be out on my own. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own boss. And, you know, what I I saw a study recently that somewhere between two and four million Americans would go and do something outside of the corporate world if it weren't for health insurance. And so to me, that's un-American, that you can't go and do something you know, that you really want to go do because of health insurance. And so that's why we feel like crowd health is just a, a, an awesome tool for folks to go out and do something entrepreneurial. And if that's a tech startup or that's a going out and, you know, buying a farm or a ranch and, and doing farming and ranching, like I think they apply in, in both of those scenarios. And then the great part about that, given that we've got these folks who are go-getter, they are kind of self-sovereign, they take agency over their own you know, lives and their own businesses and their own families, they're really great members to fund each other's healthcare expenses, right? I mean, they are, they're doing the things that they need to do to have really good results with their, with their own bodies. And so we just got a really great group of people as a part of this organization who are, you know, like I said, they, they take personal responsibility and it's, that's very, very important to them. So um, for a lot of reasons, that's why I think kind of the, the farmers and the ranchers um, are, would be awesome, you know, members of, of our community. So maybe let's investigate that next. Like, what does this actually look like? Because I think you've probably piqued a lot of people's. I'd be surprised if ears are not just like so intrigued right now, like what this could mean for their family, their job, you know, their their future moving forward. Like, how would this fit in? Walk us through what that looks like for someone. Like, maybe we have to like separate this out into like pre-existing conditions too versus like I had a farm accident and I cut my hand. Like, how does this work? Like, what what is crowd health? Yeah, and I think this will resonate with people, at least it, it does with some of the folks that I've talked to up to today. It's, you know, for hundreds of years, especially in kind of agrarian communities, like if somebody helped, got hurt in our community, if something happened to somebody in our community, people would gather around them, right? Like they would they would help out, they would, they would uh, sow the seeds, or they would, you know, do whatever they needed to do, like, and they would, they would help, right? And it's, I think over a period of time, especially the last 50 years, what's happened is is government and health insurance plans have kind of wedged themselves in between us and our neighbors. So we no longer, I think, feel the responsibility that we did 50 or 100 years ago to to help help our neighbors. I mean, I heard something on the radio this morning where, you know, in the 1970s and 80s, if you moved into a new neighborhood, people would come to you with, with cookies, right. Or they would welcome you into their, their community. And at least in urban areas, or at least in suburban areas, like that has disappeared over the last 50 years. And I think it's a lot of, because these big companies are basically, or big organizations, companies or governments are saying, Hey, you don't really have to worry about your neighbor anymore. Like we got them. Right. And so what we've done is we've said, Hey, we've got a community of people who have all raised their hand to say, if somebody in our community gets hurt, I will help out. So it's a little bit of back to the future. Um, and so if you have a farm injury, like you cut your hand, um, and let's just say it's, 
$1,000, um, what we'll do is we'll say, okay, you pay the first 500 and then we'll go to the community to see if they'll help you with the remaining 500. So we'll go to five people in your community and say, Hey, will you send Nat a hundred bucks to help with her, you know, the, her cut on her hand and they can say yes or no. And if they say yes, then a hundred dollars goes from their, you know, community bank account into a bank account that we start for Nat when she joins crowd health. So it's kind of like a Venmo account. Most people are familiar with Venmo. It's like a, a you know a wallet. So imagine five people sending you five hundred dollars, and now that you you have five hundred dollars to go and pay for that that health event. Um, so in essence, what we're doing is we're crowdfunding uh, Nat's you know hand injury from a community of of like minded people who are willing to to help her out. Um, and so then the question is like, okay, so why would people, if I've never met them, like, there's one thing about like a community where we go to church together or we go to school together or whatever, we've got some kind of bond. Like why would, you know, people help Nat? Well, if Nat asked for, you know, the hand injury, we would know two things about Nat. One would be, is she a good member of the community? So has Nat, when she's been asked, has she helped other people in the community? Because if she has, and she, you know, last time, t- 10 times, she said, yes, 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 yes. Then I'm like, man, you've been awesome. You've been an awesome member of the community. I want to help you. Right. But if you said no, 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 no to others, then if you're saying no to others, why would I help you? Right. And so there's a sense of reciprocity that happens within a community that drives the, the funding um, scenario of this. And then the other thing we tell people is, you know, did Nat go to, you know, and get a decent price for her you know, hand injury, right? Um, you know, if you go to the emergency room, there's no way for you to shop beforehand. But if there is something else that's really big, you know, have you done a little bit of work or allowed crowd help to do the work for you to find a really low cost um, alternative? In my scenario where it was an $8,000 ear tube, um, we I had an ear, nose and throat uh, person who lives like 30 miles from me. Um, said we do those in our office all day long for 1500 right and so one of the problems that we have with healthcare is there's such a deviation in costs all over the place even within the same city all we ask you to do for the big bills is call us and say hey let us help you find a really great doctor at a really reasonable price so those are the two things we know about nat when she asked the community but so far we've gone through i think 10,000 bills plus or minus and, you know, everyone that we've submitted to the community in that same way has gotten funded. So this really works. And then when you compare that to the Affordable Care Act plans, one out of every between five and six claims get denied. So um, people don't realize that these things get denied all the time. And you're like, you know, for no reason, what seems apparently, you know, no reason. So sorry for being long winded in that, but that's kind of the the background and the um, just the essence of, of how this works and some of the kind of moral um, reasons why we do what we do. No, I'm glad you actually dove into it because I think it's like kind of the meat and potatoes of this. That's what people are going to have the questions about how it works, how, you know, all the ins and outs. I want to like dive a little deeper. Natalie mentioned pre-existing conditions and I mentioned that my daughter has a pre-existing condition. And so we We've done a lot of different things. We've had traditional healthcare. We have had um, like a community kind of based one. It's definitely different than crowd health. And then ultimately now we travel to Dallas for appointments, which is technically quote unquote out of network for us. We pay a fortune in PPO. And so I'm curious how that works for you because 
for my daughter, one of the things we've had to do is actually have our family split down the middle. And two of us were on traditional healthcare and two of us were on like uh, community-based, Christian-based ones because they wouldn't accept pre-existing conditions. So how does that work with crowd health? Yeah. So three years ago when we, when we started up, what was happening was, is that people were having a problem, right? And that they would jump in. So we had a specific example. We had a number of people who had like hip or joint replacements. And so they would have had this hip and joint replacement. They jumped into the community and they said, community help me. And the community helped them. And then they jumped out of the community. And so you're like, hold on a second. Like we can't have people jumping in the community and jumping out of the community just to get a, you know, to get a bill paid. And so in essence, what we've done is we've said, Hey, if you've got a pre-existing condition, you got to be a part of the community for a couple of years before the community can help you out with that pre-existing condition. Right. It just seems like you got to be a member, you got to be in, you know, before the community will, will help you out. And so that's the way that we've done it. We say, once you're in for two years, then you can, can submit those bills to the community um, to get to get help. And that has worked, you know, pretty well thus far. It probably, I don't know, your, 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 your child's condition, it, it may not work in that scenario. But the other thing I would say is, we've got a lot of people who have pretty serious pre-existing conditions, and they've come in and they said, wow, like, I'm saving so much money being on crowd health that I can actually pay for this pre-existing condition, especially with cash rates, which are about half of what the health insurance plan pays, and um, you know, and still make this very viable. So we've got a bunch of type 1 diabetics who basically are like, wow, I can get my insulin for half of what I was paying on you know, uh, these, these insurance plans, and I'm saving $10,000 a year by going on crowd health. So it just makes sense for me to jump on crowd health, even though I have a pretty serious pre-existing condition. You know, a lot of these prescriptions, a lot of those those things are like are, very, are way less expensive if you pay for them in cash versus what your health insurance plan pays. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense that you need to have some skin in the game, like be a part of the community, be giving back. Like obviously this works because people are helping each other. So I think it makes a ton of sense. And I'll agree with that, that like I could see there being savings. I mean, it is a huge portion of our family budget that we like set aside for, you know, medical costs right now. And a lot of it is just crazy. And if you go to try to like talk with your insurance, it just doesn't even feel like you're really getting a person, right? Like, I mean, even if you end up with a person on the phone, they're not really like there to necessarily help you. And so I think that's one of the things I have loved if I've learned more about crowd health is that community aspect that it is, you know, whether that be telemedicine or just having people you can call and say, where can I like go for this? Or how can I do this differently? Like you just, I know there's been so many times in this journey that, you know, I've been on with my daughter for now, like five years that I just like feel like I am such a fish out of water and that I'm just in it alone, you know? And I mean, I can ask my spouse or family, but like, they have very limited knowledge about the ins and outs of health insurance or the back end of doctor bills. Yeah. Well, one of the things, you know, one of the cool things about starting your own company is you can kind of build it uh, to resolve a lot of things you hate about the way that it's kind of the status quo. And, and one of those things is I agree with you, like healthcare is just super complex. And so one of the things that we did was when you join crowd health, you get a care advocate. It's the same person. You talk to the same person every time, they get to know you, they get to know your family, they get to know your where you live, your needs, those types of things. And so when you contact us, you are talking to the same person, you know, the vast majority of the time, unless there's something complex going on, then we, we have a complex person to help you out with some of those things. But it's good to have an ally on your side, right? And, and the difference between crowd health and 
um, the kind of alter, the health insurance is health insurance makes more money if they deny your bill. Like they fight you on these bills. How many times, and you said it in this podcast, I think it's like, you know, we have to go and fight the health insurance plan, you know, to get this thing paid. And with our scenario is like, we are your ally. We are fighting with you to get your bill paid as opposed to against you to get your, your bill paid. We, we charge you $50 a month to be a member of Crowd Health. It's the only way we make money. Um, and so that puts us on the same kind of incentive system as, as you, as opposed to some of the perverse incentives of health insurance plans who, like I said, make more money if your, your claim gets denied, which is just a, a crazy thing to think about. So listening to you and Tara kind of talk these fast, past few minutes, I had two big questions, I think, pop into my head. And you already answered one of them that I think is really important, but I want to double click on it because in case someone missed it, I think it is the big question they have right now, which is, has a claim claim ever been denied through you guys? No. Yeah. So in the last three years, you've never had someone submit a claim or, you know, I guess it's, I just use the word of claim, but they've never submitted a request and not had it been met by the, the community. Yeah, the the only um, if we submitted to the community, it has always gotten funded. The ones there are there are some that we do not submit to the community. So, for example, if you have a pre existing condition and you try to you know get your knee paid for that you you know you wrecked two years before you joined Crowd Health, then we're like, hey, look, you know this is a pre existing condition. That's not one we're going to submit to the community. But but all the other ones that we have submitted to the community, they have all gotten funded a hundred percent. So, and and it's about 2% of bills that get submitted that we do not submit to the community. And almost all of them are duplicate bills. Like they, they submit accidentally, you know, two bills for the same thing. And we're like, Hey, this is two bills for the same thing. We're not going to submit them both. You know, so we don't do those. Those are the vast majority. And then there's probably once every two or three months where somebody tries to sneak in a, you know, a, uh, a hip replacement or something that they knew about, you know, long before joining crowd health that they try to sneak in and it's just not something that we'll, we'll, we'll submit. No, that makes total sense. And I actually think that is such an ode and testimony to what you guys have built as well as the community you guys, you know, are gathering through the company. Um, my second big question goes back to something you kind of said earlier on, which is like, okay, you know, everyone gets to kind of see what kind of Samaritan you are as a part of this company, right? When you join this. Um, my question was, okay, how many times do I get sent this request then? Right. You know, if I get it once a month, sure. I'm happy to contribute, you know, $100 to help, Mm -hmm. you know, Sarah down the road with whatever problem she has. But I think the question that entered my mind was like, am I getting this every week? Is this every other day? Like, you know, how, like, what does that look like from a schedule of how you are asked to contribute? Yeah. So you, you, uh, you get it once a month. And so on, on that, we will tell you where the person is. Um, so I'll give you a quick example. We had uh, somebody six or nine months ago who had a miscarriage, right? And there's some, you know, uh, there's costs associated with that. And so she had a miscarriage. We went around to, I don't know what it was, a hundred people or something to ask for, for help. Um, you see that it's a person in Texas who has a miscarriage that needs help with medical bills, you know, and here is how generous they've been. And the bills are very much aligned with, you know, what they should be in that area. Um, the crazy part of this was in that specific situation, that miscarriage, we had people reaching out to us and said, this is a part of my story. Like, I know what that family is going through. I know what they're feeling. Um, it, instead of $100, can I give $200 to this person? 
right? Like the fact that this is a peer-to-peer transaction as opposed to you sending your money to United Healthcare or whoever, to me is probably the biggest difference between us and, and health insurance. Like I know my money is going to help somebody who's going through a really difficult situation. Our little tagline is fund humans, not health insurance. Like we are funding other human beings with their their healthcare. And um, that's a really super cool thing. It, that was a long-winded way of saying it's, it's once per month. Um, and we love when people actually read that email because you actually know what your money is going to help um, directly, which is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I got a little bit teary-eyed as you're telling that story because I think when you're going through something medically with your family, like it is very isolating. That's not something I don't think I said in my earlier. You know, I said it's frustrating. It's scary. It's all those things. But it also can be very isolating. And so to have a community of maybe other people that it was like a part of their story or have gone through something similar, just like, I don't know, just build you up, you know, in those difficult times. That's a really like that is something so far beyond healthcare, right? Like it is the community aspect of it, of like having people who, who want to help you and be like on your team supporting you. So I really love that that is something that Crowd Health is doing. I'm so happy we're bringing this to everyone who is, you know, interested in tuning in. Do you want to maybe direct um, some places they could go to resources if they want to investigate this more? Yeah. Um, joincrowdhealth.com is our website. And I know that we didn't talk too much about pricing, but, you know, if you're a single person under 55, it's 135 bucks. If you're over 55, it's 270 and then families who are four or more um, is 405. Um, and so, um, and then you, each person has $50 per month in membership fees. So, you know, the, the numbers I just gave you is how much you'll, you're, you're going to be asked to give somebody else in the community every month. And so, you know, a family of four all in is about 600 bucks, which we think is a very reasonable thing. We don't have major, you know, there's no deductibles and things like that. It's just, we ask you to, to pay the first 500 bucks of any health event. Um, so if, you know, Nat cut her hand and she had to go get stitches and she had to follow up and she might have to take a prescription and all these kinds of things, that's all one health event. Um, and so you just pay the first 500 bucks that will sum- submit the rest of the community. Um, just wanted to make sure that we got that in before we left, but, um, it's super reasonable. Joincrowdhealth.com is, is the website and join crowd health on all the social media platforms. Um, so we'd love to see you there as well. Thank you, Andy, so much for coming on. Thank you uh, for doing this interview and just giving our audience more information about crowd health. And if you guys are interested in this, please go to joincrowdhealth.com to learn more. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.